morning to each one this morning. I want to greet you in Jesus' precious name. If I understand correctly, today is Mother's Day. And I thought about having the children come up here and having a story with them, but instead I decided just to read a poem specifically um, for the children, help them think a little bit about showing love to their mothers. So I'm going to begin with that this morning, and then we'll um, have the message. So in this, sto- in this poem, there are children... There are three children that say they all love their mother, but they do different things. And I want you to pay attention and see which one you think really did love their mother. So there's one boy named John, a girl named Nell, and a girl named Jan. The title is, Which Loved Mother Best? I love you, mother, said little John. Then forgetting his work, His cap went on, and he was off to the garden swing, leaving his mother the wood to bring. I love you, mother, said Rosie Nell. I love you better than tongue can tell. Then she teased and pouted full half the day, till her mother rejoiced when she went to play. I love you, mother, said little Jan. Today I'll help you all I can. How glad I am that school doesn't keep. So she rocked the baby till it fell asleep. Then stepping softly, she took the broom and swept the floor and dusted the room. Busy and happy all day was she, helpful and cheerful as child could be. I love you, mother, again they said, three little children going to bed. How do you think that mother guessed which of them really loved her best? So do you all think you know which one loved her mother their mother the best? You think so? The one that actually showed love by her actions, right? Mm-hmm. It's easy to say, I love you, but it's harder to actually show it. So I want to encourage you children to show love to your moms, not only today, but every day, by your actions, by what you do. The title of today's message is Husbands, Love Your Wives. And as I thought about it being Mother's Day, I thought about maybe sharing a message on different mothers in the Bible that showed love to their family, to their children. But I felt led to go a little different route, and I actually teased the family a little bit, that on Mother's Day I'm going to share a message to fathers. Um... And I think you understand as we look at the scripture this morning. This verse, or the the theme verse, is from Ephesians 5, verse 25. I'll be reading several verses here in in Ephesians 5. Um, We actually read in verses 24 to 33. But in Ephesians 5, verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. We are blessed as men to have such a godly example in Christ at how we are to show love to our family and to our wives. It says, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. How committed are we to our family, to our wives? I want to read 
Ephesians 5, 24 to 33, and then we'll look at these verses. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. <laughs> blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. Back in the first verse, we see it talking about submission or being subject unto Christ. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Just a couple verses prior, verse 22 says, wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands. Basically the same thing. And we're going to look at that just a little bit, but the main theme of the message will be husbands loving and caring for your wives. But what does it mean to submit? What are these wives, what are the ladies asked to do? Submit means to yield one's own rights. Do we find submitting easy? Is that something that we enjoy doing? For the most part, Man, in general, does not enjoy submitting. But once we learn that there is joy in submitting to God, and as we see in this verse, it says, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ. So it's not only the wives that need to submit, but the church. And who is the church? We are the church. We are the body of Christ. We are to be subject. We are to submit unto Christ. So how how easy is it for us to do that? I have to think about our responsibility in this, in being submissive to Christ. I find that as I think about the relationship that God desires to have with me and all that God did to allow me to have a relationship with him in sending Jesus to this sinful earth and allowing his son to be crucified, to die in such an awful way, to suffer, He allowed all that to happen. He caused all that to happen so that I can have a relationship, so that I can be his son. He was willing to do that for me. And it helps me to see and appreciate his love and gives me a desire to submit to his will for my life. So when I think about the responsibility of my wife, with the wives needing to submit to their husbands, I have to stop and think, how hard am I making it for her? Do I show love and care and provide a way for her to submit? Or do I treat her like a slave and expect to be served 
you know, that's not what submission means. It doesn't mean that she is supposed to just serve me all the time or at all. But submission is, yes, it's yielding one's own rights, but it is not to be taken advantage of. If you want to, there's some examples in Genesis 12 and in 1 Peter, I believe, um, refers to Abraham and Sarah. If we look at Genesis 12 and then also in chapter 20, it talks about what Sarah was supposed to do to, in quotes, protect Abraham. And it's kind of interesting how willing she was to submit. And for what benefit? Was it for her own or for Abraham's? If we look at Genesis 12, 10 to 20. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarah, his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore, it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman, that she was very fair, and the princess also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and he entreated Abram well for her sake, and he said, and he, sorry, for her sake, and he had sheep and oxen, and he asses and men servants and maid servants, and she asses and camels, and the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why sayest thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to, be, to me to wife. Now therefore behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh command, commanded, commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. I don't share this to pick apart Abraham, but I want us to think about the way we treat our wives. What do we expect of them? Do we ask them to do things or submit to us for our own benefit? In Genesis 20, a very similar account happens again. Seems like Abram just didn't really learn. In verses 1 through 17, it says, And Abram sojourned from thence toward south country, and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur, and sojourned in Gear. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister, and Abimelech, and Abimelech king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. And God came to Abimelech in a dream by night, and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man, for the woman which thou hast taken for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, she is my sister? And she even, she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocence, innocency of my hands have I done this. 
And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their ears, and the men were sore afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, What hast thou done unto us? And what have I offended? And what have I offended thee, that thou hast brought on me and my kingdom and on my kingdom a great sin? Thou hast done need, deeds unto me that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sayest thou that thou hast done these th this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. And yet, indeed, she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said unto her, This is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me. At every place whither we shall come, say of me, He is my brother. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servants and women servants and gave them unto Abraham and restored him Sarah his wife. So again we see the reasoning behind what Abraham did here in asking his wife to submit to him in this way and saying that telling Sarah you call me your brother so that I will be saved so that I won't be killed. Verse 13 even says that he says that this is something that you can do to show your love or your kindness unto me. In the NIV, it says, this is how you can show your love to me. Um, here in the, in the King James, this is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me at every place whither we shall come. Say of me, he is my brother. Do we ever require similar things of our wives? saying this is how you can show that you really love me if you do this? Is that what God was meaning by wives needing to submit to their husbands? Do you think they need to submit for our benefit? That's what we're seeing here in these passages. Abraham wanted Sarah to submit to him for his own benefit. I don't believe that's what God expects or wants or is meaning by woman submitting to man. It isn't just to benefit her husband as Abraham was trying to seek benefit from. Notice how it doesn't appear like Abraham was thinking about the difficulty it would bring his wife. How awkward to be called into the king's palace and live there. Abraham was just thinking about himself and how he might be able to protect himself. And it didn't go all that well. As we look here at Ephesians again, chapter 5, verse 24 doesn't just say that a woman or a wife is to submit to her husband, but it says, as the church is subject unto Christ, as the church is supposed to submit unto Christ, 
so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. In James 4, we have some verses that talk about submission, or one verse that talks about submission and some verses right there along with it that gives us an idea of how we can submit to God and get rid of pride in our lives. I want to read James 4, verses 7 to 10. And here it reminds us of how we as a church, we as individuals, are to submit to God. James 4, verses 7 to 10. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. First verse there, submit to God. It's what God asks each of us to do. We need to come to a place where we realize that he is King of kings and Lord of lords and be willing to submit to his will for our lives. It also says resist the devil. <coughs> How can we do this? In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says be sober, be vigilant. We need to be aware because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And also in Job 1.7, we are reminded, as the Lord talked to Satan, from where do you come? He asked Satan. So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it, we are to resist the devil. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by our brotherhood. Another way we resist is by putting on the whole armor of God. Ephesians 6 speaks of that. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And what happens when we resist the devil? It says, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil in verse 7, and he will flee from you. Verse 8 says that we need to draw nigh unto God. And as we draw to God, nigh unto God, what does God do to us? As we approach God in the name of Jesus with faith and prayer, it says that he will draw near to us. To me. And I find this such a wonderful promise. When we set out to seek God, God is already coming to be near to us. Psalm 91.15 says, He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. What a beautiful response we receive as we draw near to God, as we reach out to him when we are troubled when we 
feel lonely, when we feel discouraged. And as we begin to reach out to him, God comes right near to us. Another thing that we see here is that we need to cleanse our hands. We need to be clean and purify our hearts. In the Old Testament, the priests were, before they approached, went into the Holy of Holies. They needed to wash their hands and feet at the bronze basin as a symbol of spiritual cleansing. In Exodus 30, 17 to 21, talks about, about that. There was a, a basin there that they needed to wash their hands and feet. And even before they offered certain sacrifices, they needed to wash their hands and feet as a, a symbol of purification. And here we are told that we need to wash or be washed also. So what does cleansing our hands and purifying our hearts mean today? I believe it is the purpose and desire to wash ourselves, to, to allow God to wash us from all our iniquity. Psalm 51, 7 says, Purge me or cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 9 speaks about being afflicted and mourning. And I think that is a sign of, of true repentance when we realize just how lost, how empty our lives are without Christ, when we realize that we need him in our heart and life. We are in this state of mourning and weeping. And we repent and accept him as our Savior. Verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. It's not very easy to be humble sometimes. Our nature, human nature wants to rise up. We are full of pride at times. We are commanded to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. And I believe as we think about those different things that are listed there, it kind of goes right along with that first part of verse 7 in submitting ourselves to God. He wants us to do the rest of the things that are in this list as we submit to his will. That's what we as a church are called to do. The main emphasis here this morning, though, is, is back here in Ephesians 5. As we... Think about the responsibility of a husband and how we can make the home a happy place, a joyous place, a safe place. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. We are to love just as Christ loved the church. And notice that he describes here in these following verses there in Ephesians 5 that we read, 25, 26, and 27, the ways that he loved the church and how he gave himself for it and the reasons that he did that. Yes, it's more so the reasons that he did it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by his word. So how can we do those same type of things in our homes for our families? Are we asked to do something that is impossible? 
course not. Maybe in our own strength it is, but with God's help, we can follow through and do what Christ asks us to do. So what was Christ's example? He says, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. What type of love are we told to show, show to our wives? It is a love that is unreserved, a love that is selfless, a love that is sacrificial. We looked at one account of Abraham and his love that he had there for Sarai at times wasn't too selfless. He was thinking about self and how he could preserve himself. But that's not the type of love that God is talking about here in these verses. He wants it to be a selfless love. It doesn't say that we are to love them only if they are obedient or only if they are submissive or only if they are a good cook or always have supper on time. Those aren't the reasons that we are to show love to them. We are to love unconditionally, no matter what. He gave himself for the church so that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. We can't really sanctify and cleanse or purify our wives, but I think we can help help them in that, in what we do in the home. This is what Christ did for the church. He gave himself so that they can be sanctified and cleansed. And in John 17, 17, Jesus is praying to his father and he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So how do we help to do that in our homes? In studying this verse, thinking about cleansing and purifying, I was reading some commentaries and there was some comparison made to the ancient method of purifying women who were appointed to be a consort or a bride of the king. It was a 12-month period that it took in preparing in pre this purification and preparation. Esther 2 verse 12 speaks of it and says, Each young woman's turn came to go into King Ahasuerus after she had completed 12 months preparation according to the regulations for the women. For thus were the days of their preparation apportioned, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with perfumes and preparations for beautifying women. So that's not the purification that it's speaking about here. This was done for physical purification and cleansing. But what about spiritual purification and cleansing? Is there any way that we can help our wives, our homes in this, our families? Obviously, we can help them by taking them to church. Thankfully, most of us have grown up in homes where dad made it a priority to take the family to church. But how common is it in the world today for the mom to take the family to church and dad not bother to go because he is busy with a hobby or away on a trip or just doesn't have interests? 
can we help our wife by leading out in family devotions and prayer? We as dads need to be the leaders in the home in helping to make it a, a, a pure home, a holy place. What are our hobbies? Do they take away from the time that we should be spending with our wife and family and even the time that we should be helping in the church? You know, we can't do exactly as Christ did in, in providing a perfect way, sanctifying and cleansing us. But we can do our part in our home of helping it to be a better place, a cleaner place. Christ made the provision for his bride in verse 27, talks about that she would be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and without blemish. Can we as husbands or dads help to keep our homes pure and holy? A husband living an unholy life cannot help his wife live a holy life. It is not the wife's responsibility to establish the spiritual atmosphere in the home. That responsibility belongs to us as husbands. He is responsible for the things that come into the home and that influence the family. He is responsible for what the family listens to, the music they listen to, the podcasts they listen to. He is responsible for what the family talks about. He is responsible for how the family presents itself to others in the way that they talk, dress, and act, and how the family spends spare time. He also is responsible in how involved his family is in the church. When we as husbands fail to see the importance of keeping certain influences out of the home, we are making our wives and children spiritually vulnerable our home should be a safe haven for our families. Here is an excerpt from part of a book that I read. It says, as a pastor and speaker at a marriage conferences, I've gotten to know many couples. I would like to share about a pattern I've noticed through the years. Let me be clear that this is my own observation rather than a truth from scripture. The pattern is this. I rarely encounter a husband who complains about his wife's lack of holiness, but I have encountered plenty of wives who complain about their husband's lack of holiness. These wives express concern about what their husbands watch, listen to, or say, but rarely is it the other way around. Similarly, I don't often hear men say, my wife won't go to church with me, or join a home fellowship with me, or pray or read the Bible with me but I do hear wives say these things about their husbands. This is tragic because God has called husbands to set the standard for holiness in the home. It is terrible when wives feel like they must be the spiritual leaders in the relationship because their husbands aren't taking on that responsibility. Unfortunately, this is a common problem. I believe this shows us just how important it is for us as husbands to take up the role as a spiritual leader. Are we taking our responsibility seriously? I also find it interesting in verse 27 how it says that he has 
he gave himself for the church in verse 25 that it might sanctify, cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, and that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot and wrinkle. So Christ has provided all these things for his bride so that we as the bride of Christ may be spotless without wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy without blemish. So do we as husbands realize the importance of the things that we put into our marriage and realize that the types of things that we put into our marriage also we receive. The way a husband treats his wife is often what he receives in return. Kind of like how Christ has provided all these things for the church so that he can receive a glorious and spotless bride. For example, when a husband treats his wife forgivingly, lovingly, tenderly, he will generally receive a more forgiving, loving, and tender wife. When a husband treats his wife unforgivingly, unlovingly, and harshly, he will generally find himself with a wife who is less forgiving, loving, and tender. So what we invest in our wife is often what we will then receive as a side benefit. We are also told in verse 28 that we men ought to love our wives as our own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. And I have to think back to Genesis 2.23 when Adam sees Eve and he realizes that this is, and he says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Was it easier for Adam to remember that Eve or to treat Eve in the right way as he likes to be treated, like to be treated as this verse says we are to do because she was taken from him? Do we love our wives even as our own self? Verse 29 says that no man has ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it. What do these two words mean? How do we nourish and cherish? The word nourish comes from a Greek word, eketro, sorry, ektrefo, there, which means to nourish up to maturity. And it's not used very many places in the Bible. In other places, Ephesians 6, 4, it says, Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, meaning that we need to bring our children up to nourish them to maturity. And that's also um, that same word used here in, in verse 29 in talking about nourishing and or nourishing. It's interesting to me as I think about the responsibility we as men have in being spiritual leaders in the home. Are we nourishing our wives? Are we nourishing our children? Are we bringing them up to maturity, spiritual maturity? 
The second word, cherish, implies that we care for our wife. Physically, mentally, emotionally. Are we as husbands as concerned about how our wife is doing as we are about how we are doing? Are we as concerned about how much sleep our wives are getting as we are about how much sleep we are getting or little of sleep we are getting? Are we as concerned about how overworked our wives may be at times as we are about how overworked we may be sometimes? Are we as concerned about how our wife is doing when she is sick as we are concerned about how we are doing when we are sick? If we love our wife as our own body, the answer will be yes. And I'm thankful that here this morning there are many caring husbands. But I just want to encourage each of us to do our part in leading our family in the way that Christ has taught us, in the way that Christ has set an example here in Scripture. Love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it so that he could present a bride to himself without spot or wrinkle. I want to look at a few examples in the Bible, and we're going to be looking at Abraham and Sarah again, um, and seeing how a wife and husband working together can be such a beautiful thing. And we know this already, but Genesis 18, verses 1 to 8. There's an account here that I always enjoy reading and thinking about. And it's when the angels came to Abraham and Sarah. And the, uh, Genesis 18, verses 1 to 8. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre. And he sat, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. And he said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from my servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourself under the tree, and I will fetch a morsel of bread and Comfort ye your hearts, after that ye shall pass on. For therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, So do as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah, and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran into the herd and fetched a calf tender and good, and gave it unto the young men, unto a young man. And he hasted to dress it. And he took butter and milk in the calf which had been dressed and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree and they did eat. And as I stop and think about what all is happening here, Abraham has three surprise visitors. Didn't realize they were coming. And he is very hospitable. And he runs out and says, Come, stop, let me get you some water so you can wash your feet. And let me get you just a little morsel of some bread or something to eat. And they agree and said that he could do that. 
remember he's 99 years old at this point. And he runs and or quickly goes and tells Sarah, hurry, make three measures of bread. And I don't know how accurate it is, but in looking up at how much a measure is or how much three measures is, it's comparable to about two bushel today, but maybe, I'm not sure. But anyways, or 56 pounds. So that was a lot of bread that Sarah was asked to make quickly. Abraham runs onto his ser- onto the cattle and finds a good calf and has it prepared quickly. And once it's all ready, he takes it to these guests, all prepared. And as they are eating, he's standing by to serve. And I am just blessed by that as we see Abraham and Sarah working together. And yet Abraham's leading out in this, seeing that there is a need. And then him and his wife and and his servant work together at preparing this and providing for his guests. Just think it's a beautiful picture of how a home should and can work. I also have to think it does us well to see the effort put forth from both to host these guests. You know, as men, we may quickly invite people to our homes and just expect everything to be ready when the guests arrive. But how much effort do we, do I, put into helping with the preparation? Or is it all, or is all that my wife's responsibility? Here we see Abraham and Sarah working together. I think that's beautiful. Another short passage that I want to look at is in 2 Kings 4. And there's not a whole lot of detail here about this couple, at least not here at the beginning of the chapter. Actually, we're uh, looking at verse 8. 8 through 10. Who's the Shunammite couple? And they notice too, that there was a need, that Elisha had a need. And they help out. Second uh, Kings 4, verses 8 to 10. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick, and it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. So here we see a couple that notices a need. It actually appears like the the wife is the one that actually thinks of the idea and that may happen in our homes too. You know, sometimes our wives might notice the details, might notice that there is a need in the community or that someone has a need and so brings it to her husband's attention. And that's what it appears like happens here. Her husband agrees and they build a little room for Elisha so that he could spend the night, so that he could rest. And it appears like it was a very big blessing to Elisha, so much so that he asked what he can do for the couple 
and they don't really think they need much, but they didn't have a child, and so he prophesies that they will, in a year or less, have, have a child. And so I was blessed as I studied and thought about my responsibility as a husband. Am I creating an environment in my home that is clean, that is pure, that is a safe place for my children? Am I careful with what I allow to come into my home? And then am I working together with my wife to provide for the needs that are all around us? We see them in many different places. But am I working together? Am I helping? Am I doing my part in helping my wife in those various areas? We are so blessed to have a perfect example in Christ in the way that he gave himself and cares for his bride, the church. So I want to just encourage each of you as husbands, take time to nurture and to cherish your wives and your families. And in doing this, I believe we will be blessed and the church will be blessed as we go forward.